Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Yeah, God gets the glory. He is at work. We are kicking off this series called Lead Them, and I want to start by asking you to think of someone you care about who you want to have a positive impact on. Uh, If you're a parent, it might be a child. Uh, If you're a grandparent, it might be a grandkid. Maybe you're dating someone. You want to have a positive influence on them. Or maybe you're in a season of your life where you say, I don't know if I'm in a position to lead anyone else, but I need to start leading myself. I I want you to just start by thinking of that person, because I believe God's going to speak to you today about how you can be a leader, even if you don't think of yourself as a leader. I'm actually a youngest. You might not think that because I stand up here. I've never seen myself as a leader naturally. I've never wanted to be a leader. But the reality is you're a leader, whether you think of yourself that way or not. That is you influence the people around you. So here's who I'm thinking of in this series. In addition to all of you, I'm thinking of my family. Uh, That's my son Jack next to me. He just turned 13 yesterday. He's almost as tall as his mom. He's becoming a young man and is just amazing. Yeah, last night, Jack and I were playing a video game. We had these race cars on the street and he was like, dad, when I'm 22, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to get a car like this and uh, maybe you can drive your car with me and you'll be like 60. (laughs) And I was like, Jack, how old are you today? He's like 13. I was like, well, when you're 22, that's nine years from now. I'll be 49, not 60, okay? (laughs) And then I was like, oh my goodness, in nine years, Jack's going to be 22. What in the world is going on? We took this picture at the escape room downtown Indy. Uh, You do this thing where you go in and they have all these different scenarios. We did one where you're in a jail cell. And uh, it was a great teachable moment with the kids uh, because the jail cell was very realistic. And so before we started our escape, we have to figure out all these puzzles and clues. I just had a little moment to say, kids, Notice the bars, which are authentic. This is why you make good decisions in life. (laughs) It's pretty fun that the kids are all old enough now to do something like the escape room together. Our youngest is eight and Jack's 13. And so each of them discovered some of the different clues, solved some of the different puzzles. You have 60 minutes to get out. And we got out at the 22nd mark. So, I mean, good thing. Or I guess I wouldn't be here today. But I remember when my kids were younger and it was exhausting. I know people say children are a blessing from the Lord. I agree, but this really symbolizes the first four or five years of parenting for me and Mel. I mean, uh, colicky, ornery, stubborn, whatever word you want to call like the nice way of saying difficult kids who don't sleep through the night. That was us. And I was working hard, and I mean, I just remember being tired. That's about all that I remember from those years. And I do want to say to those of you who've got really young ones, it does get easier. I wish someone had told me that. It gets easier. At least it becomes less fatiguing. It's less physically demanding. The challenges change, but at least you have a good night of sleep to face the challenges. As I've been praying for all of you, really for a couple months now leading up to this series— 
really asking God to stir our hearts that each of us would step up to become the leader God wants us to be, whether that's in your dating relationship, your marriage, your parenting, your grandparenting. The reality is that it's hard. Influencing, leading myself is hard enough, let alone leading other people. So as I was praying for you guys, and I was like, man, I just want to keep this real about how difficult it is to parent or to grandparent or to lead spiritually with anyone. This meme came across my feed on social media, and I just have to share it with you. Feel free to laugh along at this picture of what parenting is actually like. I relate. I don't know if the rest of you do, but I relate. That is very often how I feel in parenting. Like, what do I do with this situation? Feels a lot like that. My biggest crisis lately hasn't been any of my kids. It's been this beautiful puppy, Sunny. If you've been here for a while, you know that Sunny has an issue where she pees on me when she greets me, and I thought it was resolved, but it's not. But I actually have a more dramatic story about Sonny to tell you today. Um, Sonny's one of our two dogs. Here's our older, wiser dog on the right, Penny. And uh, here's the, the context of this story. Our whole neighborhood backs up to a big farm field. And so there are coyotes and foxes that run in and out of our neighborhood. So we've had two or three neighbors have their little smaller dogs get eaten or attacked by coyotes. And in fact, one had just recently told us a story of the coyotes took their puppy, killed their puppy, but didn't eat it. And they found it out in the yard. And I was like, oh my goodness, we got to keep an eye on Sunny. She's so little. So here's what we've been doing at night. We've got this metal rope. Uh, it's steel cable. And the steel cable is covered in like a plastic, uh, something to keep it from rusting. So at nighttime, because Penny doesn't yet stay in our yard very well, we hook her up, or Sunny, the little one, and then we let the big one out there with her because the big one kind of barks and is bigger, and we turn the lights on in the backyard, and the big one kind of keeps an eye on her, and the little one can't get too far away. So that has been our strategy. Well, recently, Mel and I, we were watching TV. It was probably like 1130 at night. The kids were in bed, and uh, it was fall break, and I was just all relaxed. And um, the dog was outside on this rope while the bigger dog was out there with her. And Mel kept saying in that most loving way that spouses do, um, honey, could you go bring the dogs in? Honey, I think we should bring the dogs in. And I kept just being like lazy. Honestly, just totally lazy. I was like, I'm comfortable. They're fine. They're dogs, you know. Well, eventually Mel gets tired of my total apathy. She decides to go get the dogs. And I hear the sliding glass door open. And then I hear Mel yell, John, the dogs are gone. And I'm like, how in the world can the dogs be gone? It's a metal rope. And I run down and here's what the condition of the metal rope was. Sonny had chewed through the steel cable and it was pitch black outside and just the dogs are gone. And of course, we're immediately thinking coyotes, foxes, and Mel just takes off into the dark. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm going to at least get like a flashlight and some running shoes. 
because this might be like a one or two hour expedition. And as I'm lacing up my running shoes and getting my flashlight, I'm just thinking like, oh no, if this little puppy, our kids love this dog so much. I even like this dog a lot, but the kids, oh my goodness, like this is bad. This is really bad. And I'm thinking, oh man, the farm fields out there, who knows where these dogs could be. So I'm sitting on our front step, lacing up my shoes, and I hear this little scratch on the front door. I open the front door and just sitting there, both the dogs, right at the front door, just sitting there. <laughs> so thankfully, it all resolved fine. But I do want you to think about that feeling for a moment. You know that feeling, whether it's a pet or a child, that um, it's out of control. You can't fix it. They're lost in the darkness. They've, they've chewed through the rope or they've run away. Do you know that feeling? That's what we're talking about today. We want to solve this problem. How do you set your kids up in such a way that when they find themselves in the darkness of life, when there are threats and predators coming after your kids, how can you set them up that their beliefs, their friends, their pattern of choices is, is one that will keep them safe, is one that will ultimately lead them back to the front door rather than out into the darkness. The reality is, as a dad, I almost wish in this world that our kids are growing up in that coyotes was the threat. Because I know how to handle coyotes. Like, that's pretty easy. But the reality is the things that our kids are facing, real predators that are after them are, are much more invisible and insidious. It's things like depression. It's things like suicidal thoughts. It's things like addiction. It's these things that we as parents, we can't just easily solve these problems. If you're parenting right now and you're paying attention, you're surely noticing some of these things. Here's just a few of them. According to researchers at Harvard, right now, one out of five girls growing up in the U.S. will struggle with an eating disorder because everywhere they look, there's this emphasis on their body. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, one out of every three teenagers in the U.S. right now suffers from anxiety. Anxiety, actual anxiety disorders such as panic attacks, phobias, inability to complete basic tasks and responsibilities, physical symptoms like headaches and stomach aches. And this is not like this generation is somehow weaker than all the ones that came before. This is because of the frenetic, divided, crazy world that they're growing up in. A national survey of children's health found that young people diagnosed with anxiety or depression has increased 20% in the last 13 years. Psychology Today reports that the average age of pornography exposure for a young person in the U.S. is age 11, with many being exposed between the ages of 5 and 9 because it just is everywhere. Internet access is everywhere. Suicide is the fastest growing cause of death among young people in the U.S., teenagers and young adults. Uh, in fact, teenagers are now four times more likely to die from suicide than from cancer. It's the second most likely cause of death among American teens. And if the person who's on your heart to lead uh, is past their teens, we all know that for adults, um, life's not that much simpler or easier. So how do you set your loved ones up? So that when life is dark and the threats are many, they have beliefs and choices and friends that kind of guide them 
safely home. We all want this. We all want the best for our loved ones. But if you're anything like me, you don't know how to do it sometimes. So here's the question. How can you influence that person you love toward God's best for their life? How can you do that? I mean, if I could answer that for you definitively today, would you want to know how? If God speaks to that, would you want to know what he says? Well, that's what we're going to be doing today and the next three weeks in this series. And we start in a true story. We always find the answers in the word of God. And this one is a a true story. It happened thousands of years ago in a place called the kingdom of Judah. Judah is that pink nation kind of in the middle there. And you can see that there were many threats pressing in on this kingdom. So if you ever feel as you're trying to parent or lead others, like you're just in a pressure cooker and there's all these threats pressing in on you, well, that was exactly the case for God's people here. Now, sadly, God's people at this time, he would appoint kings. And this book of the Bible that we're going to be in gives these kind of one-page summaries of each king. And the sad reality is that most of them were not good kings. In fact, I wonder if there was a one-page summary of your life and how you led your family or the people around you, an objectively written one-page summary, would it say uh, he was active, he was engaged, he was leading them toward God, or would it say uh, he was selfish, he was comfortable, he was passive, and they drifted from God? What's interesting in this book of the Bible is that it's always an either-or. They either were a good king because they led the people to God or they drifted and they were a bad king. There's no third option. There's no fourth option. So within that context, God is actually speaking to a bad king and he's kind of scolding him. He's telling him, you had the potential to be a great leader and the whole nation is suffering because of your selfishness. And here's what God says, the eyes of the Lord Search the whole earth. Why are God's eyes, this is happening right now, he's scanning every continent. He's looking across all the people. What is God looking for? He's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. And why is God looking for those people? He wants to strengthen those people so that those people can serve and care for and help and lead other people. In other words, it starts with you. If you care about your daughter, it starts with you. You care about your wife or your girlfriend, it starts with you. You care about your grandkids, you care about your niece or your nephew, it starts with you. So if it starts with you, if it starts with me, then then what do we do? Well, let's look back at the passage. It says, the eyes of the Lord, they're constantly searching the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You could summarize it this way. When your heart is fully committed to God, that's a choice that only you can make. When your heart is fully committed to God, then God will strengthen you. He'll strengthen you to be a leader that you could never be in your own strength. He'll strengthen you to be the leader that he's designed you to be. He'll strengthen you where you have gaps and you say, I I don't know how to talk to a teenager about that or I don't know how to lead my spouse. My spouse is struggling with depression and I'm just, it's hard to be around him. I'm trying to cheer him up. I don't know what to do. God promises this, keep your heart fully committed to him. He'll fill in the gaps. He'll strengthen you in ways that that you don't have strength in, in yourself. He'll fill in the gaps. 
So what does this look like? Well, to see what it looks like, we're going to now go deeper into this text. We're going to read a true story, and let me just give you a heads up. It's the funniest name in the Bible. Funniest name in the Bible. If you've never heard it before, the name is Jehoshaphat. Real name. I know we've got a lot of young families here having babies, and you're, you know, you're, you're thinking, what's a cool name? What's a good name? What's a name that'll stick out and really, like, my kid will be noticed? There you go. Jehoshaphat. Okay. Though if you actually name your child that, please don't tell them that I suggested it, okay? (laughs) So Jehoshaphat becomes the next king, and you've got about three chapters here in the book of 2 Chronicles that give, if you were to put it in a Microsoft Word document, about a one-page summary of his life. And here's what I think is inspiring about Jehoshaphat's life. He came after a lot of bad kings, Who were his dad, his grandpa? And I know some of you are here and you're listening to this and maybe you look at other families in our movement and you think, I'd love for my family to all love Jesus and us all be, you know, free from addiction and we don't yell at each other. And like, that's all great, John, but you don't understand where I came from. You don't understand what I grew up in or the mistakes I've made. Well, Jehoshaphat did not grow up in a good home, but he's going to end that trend. He's going to end that trend. And the reality is this movement, one of my favorite things about Connection Point, is full of families who have ended the trend of abuse, ended the trend of addiction, ended the trend of always yelling at each other. I mean, we've got families here where one person came to Christ, and then they led their spouse to Christ, and they transformed, and as they changed, they raised their kids for Christ. Now their kids are adults, and now there's a third generation, and I just want to give you this visual. I mean, it happens. If you will fully give your life to God, he can change you, and then it can spread in a positive way. And you, there are families, this is how my family is. I'm the third generation. My grandpa was a total pagan And he was working on a Ford assembly line. Someone led him to Christ. And after he became a Christian, they said, you need a Bible. You need to be in a Bible-believing church. And he just did what the Bible said, followed Jesus. It changed him. Then he led each of his siblings to the Lord. Then he raised his kids for the Lord. One of those kids was my dad. And my dad raised me for the Lord. And then even though I wandered away, I ran out in the darkness for a portion of my life. Because of that godly lineage and heritage, God brought me back to the front door eventually. And I just, I want you to be inspired. God can change you and God can change your family, but it starts with you. So Jehoshaphat becomes the next king. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Why? Because he followed the ways of his father, David. Now, David was not his father. This is father in the kind of, you go back like 50 generations sense, symbolic This is King David, who we studied in the month of August. If you were here, we did a series called Origin Story. David was this awesome king. He sinned. He made mistakes. He wasn't perfect. But the theme of his life, the one-page summary of his life, actually one sentence summary, person after God's own heart. And so Jehoshaphat, even though the family he grew up in was dysfunctional and evil, he said, I'm going to follow the example of King David. And I'm going to be a person after God's own heart. I love it that it says he followed. Because in September, we did a series here, a study called Jesus Follower. And we learned that while our salvation, that is, our sins are forgiven, we have a home in heaven, eternal life, that is a free gift we receive by believing in Jesus. We can't earn it. After we receive it, we are called to follow Jesus. 
And when we actually follow him in our choices in our lifestyle is when we really see transformation happen. And so look at these cool themes that all tie together. This guy followed, in other words, his lifestyle was, uh, what does God say to do with my time, with my talent, with my desires? And as a result, God is with him. Little encouragement here, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be intentional. To be an effective leader, to see God use you to influence the people you care about toward him, toward his best. Let yourself off the hook. You don't need to be perfect. Don't quit when you mess up, but you do need to be intentional. You do need to be consistent. Verse 4, Jehoshaphat did not consult the Baals. I'm giving you all sorts of great new vocabulary today. (laughs) What are the Baals? They were like these idols, small g gods, false gods, that all those other nations around worshipped. So when they wanted, oh, it needs to rain or else we're not going to have a a good harvest, they would pray to these wooden idols. Oh, we need to have children so that our family can continue. They would pray to these wooden idols. And so Jehoshaphat, one of these distinctions, him following God meant he didn't look to those idols, but instead followed the God of David, followed God's commands rather than what many people who were drifting were doing. And then I love verse 5. The Lord established the kingdom under his control. The Lord established the kingdom. How would you like it for God to establish your family? How would you like it if you're um, dating or you're engaged for God to establish your marriage? Or maybe you've been married for a while and you're at a place where you say, this isn't going to work unless God establishes this. It's not going to work. That word establish, if you stare at it long enough, you'll notice right in the middle of it is the word stable, stability. God strengthens those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. God can give a stability to your home that doesn't come from your disposition or your background, but actually comes from heaven. God can give a stability to your relationships that doesn't come from your feelings or your personality, but comes straight from the creator of the universe. Thousands of people end up being fed and protected and safe and having families and being blessed because one leader decides I'm going to be fully devoted to God and God says I'm going to bless that and I'm going to establish the kingdom. Why did God do that? Verse 6, his heart was devoted, not just interested, not, mm, there were some days where he really loved God and there were a lot of days where he didn't think about God. His heart was devoted Not just to God himself, but to the ways of the Lord. Lord, how do you want this family to look? God, what do you want my marriage to look like? God, if I'm dating, what should that look like according to you? God, I love my grandkids. I don't know how to influence them. Show me your ways as a grandparent of how to have influence on them. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. And it's because of that that he removed these idols that people would pray to called Asherah poles. Here's an artist's visualization of what that probably looked like. I love the way this guy's swinging the axe, just knocking down this idol that everyone else was looking to instead of God. Verse 7, in the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent his officials to teach in all the towns. What did they teach? Well, the people had forgotten all about the Bible. So he sent out these teachers to go to every town he wanted the people to know the word of God. And and as we're going to see in the coming weeks, the whole nation ends up being very blessed. Um, they're, They're blessed in every way as they seek God. Are they perfect? No. But they become a people 
devoted to God. So let's revisit our initial question. How can you influence the people you love toward God? Answer, choose to see yourself as a leader. Not the stereotype of a leader. It doesn't mean you have to stand up in front of a bunch of people. You don't have to be bossy, etc. But see yourself as someone who influences the people around you. And then be intentional to be the leader God's made you to be. How? By being fully committed to God. So as a dad, you don't always have to solve every problem to be a good leader. But to be a good leader, you do consistently point back to God. You know, son, daughter, wife, I I don't, that's real hard. I don't know how to fix that. But I know that God's in control. I know that we can seek him. Be a leader who's fully committed to God. The reality, if you're engaged in trying to influence the people you care about toward what's best, is that you're going to realize there's times that you don't have it figured out. This is often how I feel as a parent. Some days it's impossible, it seems. But I've learned this, if you'll remain dedicated to God, and I've seen this from families that are further along than me and Mel are, you stay fully dedicated to God, and at the end you look back and you say, wow, God did things that I never could have done in the hearts of the people I care about. Let me take just a moment to talk to the parents of our newborns and our toddlers. Because as I mentioned before, I know it's just an exhausting season that you're in. And I want to encourage you, even before your kids can speak, you can start laying a foundation. And the best way to do that when they're so little is in your own heart. Remember, we saw it starts with you. Start even when they're, even when they're, you know, this little. I remember when mine were that little, you know. Start saying, God, it starts with me. I want to be fully devoted to you. In our marriage, if you're married, we want to be fully devoted to you. Let me talk to parents of elementary age kids for a moment. And I want to inspire you and encourage you, even challenge you in those elementary years to make God the center of your family. So many ways that uh, if you're kind of over the top ridiculous about it, there's so many ways that you can make God the center. When you're driving around, you can have um, Christian praise music on. And there's tons of kids praise music. Which, by the way, just a little life hack. As an adult, when I listen to kids praise music, it like makes my anxiety go way down. (laughs) That's one of the, the great things about being a parent of elementary age kids is I have this kids praise music on all the time. And it just like calms me down. But their minds are so moldable. You know, you can, when they're watching TV shows, you can be intentional to find Christian TV shows for kids. Are they a little corny? Yes. But all kids TV shows are corny. So, you know, come on, there it is. But the reality is their minds are so moldable. You've got this chance. And and here's what I really want to say. If your kids are in elementary, right now, set the pattern for your family that the expectation is this. If we're in town and we're not sick, we're at church. Now, if we're out of town or we're sick, online is, is great for those reasons. But if we're in town and we're healthy, we're at church. Why? Let me tell you why. Once they get to middle school and high school, there will be an avalanche. I mean an avalanche of demands. Marching band, travel sports. I mean, it gets ridiculous and it just happens all of a sudden. And if you haven't really programmed it in your family rhythm, like we're in church every weekend unless we're at home sick or on vacation, then it's going to be real hard to do come middle school or high school. Parents of middle school and high school kids, I want to encourage you, the time is so short. I mean, Jack's 13, I've got five more years with him. The time is so short. You know this. 
You see that 18 mark and it's, it's counting down. You still are ridiculously in charge. You have so much influence to point them to God. But if you're always wanting their approval, you will wimp out and chicken out. Your primary calling is not to be your child's friend. It's to be their parent. Should you be friendly? Sure. Should you be unconditionally loving? Of course. Does that mean you're always going to do what they want? Nope. Doesn't. Okay, God gave seven billion people in the world who can all be friends to your kid, but he only gave one or two parents who can parent them, who can lead them. So if you're paying for that phone bill, guess who's in charge of that phone? You are. If you're paying for the internet every month, guess who's in charge of the internet? You are. Okay, I better stop. I've got some teens in here. I don't want to upset anyone. I, I, of course, I'm not saying be domineering or mean, but be engaged, pay attention, be, be praying for them, be helping them sort through things. I struggle to control my access to the internet and I'm 40 years old, you know. The, the human brain for males, did you know the frontal lobe, the decision-making part of the brain doesn't fully form till age 25? Um, I, I'm glad I didn't have full access to the internet when I was 14 to 25. Okay, if you will make this choice, God will show up and do what you cannot. He will. And I'm not pretending it's easy. I'm not pretending there's like a one size fits all. We'll get into this in future weeks. But what are some of these things like monitoring internet access for a kid? Well, it's different for every kid. It's different for every age and stage. I, I, please don't hear me up here putting down some heavy rules that life needs to be this big, difficult thing. But what I am saying is, Mom or dad, if you will say, God, make me the leader I want to be. Help me to not be lazy or complacent. Help me to be fully devoted to you and show me one day at a time. And I know for me, there's so many days where I'm like, am I doing enough? I'm probably not doing enough. I'm, but I do know I'm devoted to God and I'm doing my best. And I trust his promise that his eyes are searching for that and he will strengthen the gaps that I have. So what does this look like today? Well, I wanted to sit down with two families in our movement because we have hundreds of families here who really have done what those of us who have kids who are not out of the house yet, what we want to do. And here's what I mean by what we want to do. What do we want? Well, we want our kids to be well-adjusted, have a good job, um, date a reasonable person or marry a great person. Um, you know, many of you, you want college scholarships, you want whatever, all this stuff. I sat down with two families from our movement whose kids are all, one is a senior in high school, the others are all in college or out of college, and they're all thriving. And the reason I picked these two families is that some of these kids are thriving in ways like Division I college scholarships for sports. Won't happen in my family, okay? Where some people fall for the lie that says, boy, to get that, you have to be everywhere the coach says and you'd have to just quit church. These are two families that didn't quit church. They sought first God's kingdom. And now because God made their kids athletes, their kids are, are thriving in that thing. But I wanted to ask them. In fact, me and Mel sat down together with them to say, how do you do it? How do you balance it all? Here's just a snippet of our conversation. Go ahead and take a look. Obviously, they've got their academic studies, they've got their friends, they've got their activity, whether that's sports, show choir, marching band, robotics club, you name it, they've got their thing. Um, and then, of course, um, there's church, there's God. And how do you fit all those 
marbles into the jar, so to speak. I mean, how how do you be intentional about church for your kids when they're in all these things? You know, as you as you said that, I think even the way you asked the question, because you talked about there's academics, there's sports, there's robotics club, there's show choirs, and then there's God. No, there's God first. And then there's academics and athletics and show choir and those sorts of things. And it has to start there. There, there was one weekend, a weekend that we didn't go to church because it was we were too busy. Um, and we were. I mean, it was it was an insane you know, soccer, swimming, basketball. It was all there. And and I said, we're not going to church tonight. And I never did it again because the way I felt, it was just like I made all those things a priority over God. No, that might mean that we get up and we go to the 745 service Mm -hmm. and, you know, we might leave early to get there, but we're going to go to that. That might mean that our daughter is late for swimming warm ups, Mm -hmm. but we're going to go there. Um, That might mean we don't take all the out of town trips with soccer and basketball, Um, you know, but but that's okay. Mm -hmm. So. I think it starts with what is the priority? Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got it, when you have a limited capacity in a jar, you've got to fit the big things in first. Yes. And the biggest thing is God. And if I look at how can I squeeze God in there, then I won't have room. I've got to start with God. My oldest was just talking about this with me and she coaches swimming now. And we were just talking about the intentionality mm-hmm. of church. And she said, I remember going to church and knowing that I was going to have to miss a half hour of warm ups, And I was like, I hate being late. And she got that from me because I hate being late. And so she's like, I dreaded going into swim warm ups and saying, I'm here, you know, and she said, but I did it. And she said, now as a coach, looking back when my kids come in and say, mm-hmm. hey, I'm sorry, I'm late. She goes, it's OK. Mm-hmm. You were in church. You need to be with your family. And she said she understands that so much better now. I think the uh, online services have really been helpful for us. Um, without the online services, uh, we would definitely feel much, uh, I would say, more disconnected. Uh, when we can watch online, uh, we still feel like we know what's going on, even though you know, we may be in California, even though we could be in um, North Carolina, all over, who knows? And uh, the online services have really helped us. And we've had to, um, you know, kind of adjust and and make it um, so that uh, God is a priority for sure. Um, I like the way that Neil said that. I mean, your kids have to see you make it a priority. Mm -hmm. I, you know, if, if we're not leading them, they're not going to catch it. And so I think that that's, that's vital, you know, whatever that, you know, I think serving, it's just, it, it is so, there's so many good memories when you serve with your kids. You know, it, it makes me tearful when I see my kids worship mm-hmm. and, and I see them raise their hands and worship. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But those moments don't happen if we're not leading them by example and volunteering with the little people, <laughs> um, you know, um, or, or getting involved in the awakening, the great banquet, whatever Whatever that is, when your kids see you serve, they realize, okay, mom and dad have full-time jobs and they're running this all over Indiana or the U.S., <laughs> um, but they still make time to serve. It, yes. it must be important. Yes. Also, I was just thinking about, you know, just our small group. Uh, we were in the group with Chris and Michelle when we first moved mm-hmm. here. They were our first small group and that's how our kids got to know each other. Mm-hmm. But then even our small group, then it kind of evolved into <laughs> other families joining us and some people coming and going. But I think that we've we've always had it on Saturday night and our kids have always been a part of it. All the kids in the small group, they all come, they play together. And then at the end of our night, we have them all come up and we pray together and we let them pray together. And 
I think just being involved in that intentionally and letting them see there's other families who are yeah. doing this and there's other kids who are my age and yeah. they're involved in it and okay, this must be important. And, yeah. you know, I think that gives them a sense of, you know, this is a priority and I need to make this a part of my life all the time, yes. all the way up until I'm older. So, And I think it's just a natural conversation with them. It's not something we just talk about on Sunday. It's not something we do for evening prayers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, God's part of our daily, mm -hmm. our daily moments, our daily life. And it's just, as you were talking about the van rides, you know, those organic conversations mm -hmm. that just happen um, and they're doing life and life is not going to be done well unless they're doing it with the Holy Spirit. And so that's going to be part of um, our conversations that we're going to have with them. Yeah, let me skip, you, skip back and show you pictures of these families. Here's the probes um, standing uh, in front of the ocean on vacation. So, you know, these are real people. And, um, you know, as you listen to that, the danger is to think, oh, no, my kids can't do anything. We have to be at every church activity. That, that's not the gist of it. The gist is God is number one. Everything else falls below, and we figure out how to make it work. Uh, the Modulin family, um, the other family you heard from, all three of their boys uh, well, the two who are in college have, have swum at the collegiate level, and their youngest, who's at home right now, is about to go on a Division I scholarship. They've got, like, U.S. Olympic trials and stuff. So I'm not saying um, just come to church. But what I am saying is in the mix, especially in, in those key years, if you don't say God's our first thing, everything else fits around that, it, it won't happen by accident. And I want you to be inspired that sitting right around you in this room are hundreds of families who've done this and have done it well. Uh, in fact, three weeks from today, uh, we'll have a special event with those two couples. And uh, if you want to be there, we'll put you at a round table with other parents of kids the same age. And it's just going to be talk about, you know, whatever issue you're facing. You know, whether it's whatever issue you're facing, you can bring it up and talk with other parents. And we want to get you in a group. Mel and I are in a small group with other parents who have kids around the same age. And very much like you heard from these families who are further along, our kids play together. They know each other. As that repeats year after year after year, some of your kids' closest friends can be other God-centered young people who are being raised in Christ-centered homes. I don't pretend that any of this is easy, but I do know that if we'll follow God's example, he'll be faithful. I'm going to not unpack these, but I'll give you these three principles very quickly from Jehoshaphat's life. The first is choose to be fully committed to God as a lifestyle. Okay? We're not talking about here a thing called legalism. If you came from like certain really heavy religious Christian denominations. We're not talking about legalism where everyone in the church is judging each other like, oh, you weren't there. I'm worried for your salvation. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having a heart that's fully devoted to God. And I mean, we see this all the time in our small group. We know every family in our small group is fully devoted to God. There's times where um, one family misses for a cross-country tournament or another for a wrestling thing. Or, um, but we encourage each other. And, and we all kind of know if, if you missed, try to watch it in the car on the way because we're all going to be talking about it as a group. And so being fully devoted as a lifestyle isn't a heavy thing, but it is a choice. You know, obedience has a cost. And the reality is this, our kids are each going to have moments in their life where following Jesus toward what's best is going to cost them. For example, they're at a party and they're, they're being influenced by their friends 
everyone's getting intoxicated or doing illegal drugs, and they know that for them to say, no, that's not my path as a Jesus follower, it's going to cost me some popularity, it's going to cost me something. Well, mom and dad, if they've never seen you follow God at a cost, why would you think that they all of a sudden would? But if they've seen you, man, even dad, he missed the Colts game for whatever, you know, for small group. Or They've seen mom and dad make sacrifices for God. Well, now at least they have a pattern to follow. I love this quote about leadership. Quote, a quality which is prominent in every leader is a strong developed sense of dominant purpose and direction in life. Now, I know like everyone who's an alpha is like, yeah, Absolutely. And everyone who's a little more relational is like, oh, that sounds bossy. But here's the thing. God's will for you as a leader isn't to be a domineering person. But in your home, you should have a dominant purpose. And it's this. We exist to live for God. That's, that's who we are as a family. That's what we do as Dickerson's. We want to serve God, and that's why we respect other people, even if they're not acting respectfully, etc. Part of the vision God's given us as a movement is raise the strongest generation. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean this. Today's kids and students, your kids or grandkids, and I, I hope you know I pray this for your family, for our families as a movement. Every night when I kneel at my bed, our prayer is that they, today's kids and students will become tomorrow's Christ-centered leaders. What do I mean by Christ-centered leaders? I don't just mean pastors. I mean attorneys and lawmakers. I mean homemakers and engineers and entrepreneurs and physicians and every walk of life that we're raising a generation. You want to change Indiana? You want to change a nation? Sure, yes, vote as you can. But what if you raise up a whole generation of voters? What if you raise the people who are making the laws? What if you raise the judges and the juries? This is God's plan for us as a movement, is to raise a generation. And we're all in on this. If you're new with us, uh, heads up, we spend a fortune on this. Because this is the most important part of our vision. This is the future of the church, is our young people. That's why we've got the facilities that we have. That's why we're the only church I know of that has a full-time PhD in apologetics, which is giving a defense of the faith, whose full-time job is to help our middle school and high school students wrestle through, is the Bible true? Is there any one truth? Do we know if Jesus lived? How can we know if he rose from the dead? Because we're going all in to raise our kids for Christ. But here's the thing. You could be in a church that's spending a gazillion bucks on this, and if you don't get your kids there because you're just too busy and it's not a priority, your kids aren't going to benefit from it. Second thing we see in Jehoshaphat's life is to remove the idols that everyone else worships. Remove the idols. Now, money is not evil, but the love of money, when we love it above God, is. Sports are not evil. Sports are awesome. It's an expression of the body God gave us. Sexuality, God made it. It's awesome. But anytime we put any of these things above God, they become an idol. The Baal idol, I won't unpack this, but maybe just invite God to speak to you as you read through the list. It promised four things. Pretty interesting because this is thousands of years ago. What did every mom want? What did every dad want? Kids and a family, food and a career, wealth and money, sexual fulfillment. Sound familiar? Anyone else want those things? This is human nature. And the question is not, do you want those things? Of course you do. God put a lot of those desires in you. The question is, do you look to God as the first place provider of those things? Or do you look to the systems of the world, to other 
idols to provide those things. Third thing, be courageous in modeling a full commitment to God, especially when it costs. This, could, this shows up a hundred different ways. As you choose to say, God, I'm fully devoted to you, there will be some costs. It'll look different for each of us. Maybe for you one year, it's like, hey kids, we're, we're on a slightly smaller vacation this year or this vacation because of our commitment to give generously to others. Or they see you miss an event you wanted to be at, to be at your small group or to be at church. This is not about judging others. It's about modeling it. Have your kids ever seen you make a sacrifice to follow Jesus? Well, I'll take you back to this, this little guy here. <laughs> Thankfully, we have the other half, which means she came back. Coyotes in the darkness are kids in a world of evil. It's not a question of if darkness and evil, sexual abuse, judgment, prejudice, temptation. It's not a question of if those things are going to come the way of our children. It's a question of when. And it's a question of how will we have prepared them when they're out there in the darkness? Are there going to be other friends around them who might lead them back to the front door? Are there going to be beliefs and patterns of choice that they've seen in us and hopefully they've picked up some of it that even if they wandered off in the dark, it's like a net and it brings them back? I think I mentioned earlier, that's what happened for me. I grew up in a Christian home. I wandered off in the darkness intellectually. I thought, yeah, God probably doesn't exist. This thing's probably a bunch of myths. Jesus probably didn't exist. I wandered off. There's an old proverb in the Bible. It says, train up a child in the way they should go. And in the end, they will not depart from it. I love that translation, in the end, because I wandered off, but in the end, God brought me back to the front door. Our kids will each make their own decisions. Some of you, your kid, you have an adult child, they're still out there in the dark. Don't give up being fully devoted to God. Don't give up modeling this stuff and praying. The story's not over. It's not done. You can still hear a scratch at the front door. But for those of us who we still, have, we still have them in our house, we still have so much opportunity, this series, my heart for you is saying this, don't get, it, don't get to where your kids are all out of the house and you look back and you say, man, I never missed a soccer game, but we missed a lot of church. Don't look back and say, oh man, sports is totally done now. I wish I had done more on their character. I wish I had done more paying attention to the friends they were making. I'll close with a story of how God can use the net, the fabric of the whole body of Christ. Our little church in Arizona that me and Melanie started with, um, it, it, as it grew, there was a family that came. They had two teenagers. And I remember them well. They had a teenage boy and a teenage girl, and they would always sit in the front left in about the third row, and I'd see them every Sunday morning. And we got to know them because it was a very small church. And this family did what we're talking about here. Their kids were involved in stuff, but they were very, very consistent at prioritizing God in their schedule. Well, one day I got a call from the parents and their son was at school and a school, he was acting real funny. And a school teacher um, did a check of his locker and he had a noose in there, like for hanging, uh, for hanging a person. And school counselor meets with him. He was going to take his life. Like very, like it wasn't just an attention thing. Like, I mean, he was really going to end his life. Well, you know, I knew him on a first name basis because our church was so little. And so they called me. They said, what do we do? I said, I have no idea, but I'm on my way over. 
And I remember I got to their house and I just invited him to hop in the front seat of my Toyota 4x4. We just went off on these mountain trails up in the mountains of Arizona and we just talked. And I just asked him questions. He was struggling with identity. He was struggling with security. He was struggling with belonging. All real normal stuff for teenagers. And I didn't have some magic silver bullet, but I just shared with him promises from the Bible and that the reality that God has a great plan for his life, that he can find that acceptance in God, that God has great things ahead for him. Now, was that like an easy for the parents? Like, well, because we go to church regularly, just the next day, problem solved. No, he struggled with that for a while. But here we are, like 12 years later, and I'll see on social media that family, and I'll see him now in his late 20s or early 30s, whatever he is, and he's doing fine. And I think, God, I'm so glad that family had the whole fabric, the whole network that you were able to use the whole body of Christ because that drive with me, I was just one influence of a whole bunch of adults and teenagers who all knew him and could all love on him. Bottom line is this, it starts with you. I know that seems heavy. It should be kind of heavy. Don't let it crush you though. It starts with you and we're here to help. God placed you, he brought you here or you're watching online in this moment because he wants you to be part of a tribe where there are other parents like the ones you saw in that video, thousands of parents here. Many have been through the exact thing you're going through. If you'll lean into our groups, our other offerings, I'm not saying you have to be at everything, but when you're here, be engaged, introduce yourself to other people and God will pair you up with the right other people to show you what you don't know. Most importantly, as you're fully devoted to him, he sees you and he promises he will strengthen you. Let me pray that for you. Father, I thank you in this place that you see us today, that your eyes are searching and you see these parents, these grandparents. We love the people you've entrusted to us. We want to protect them from the evils of this world, but we can't always do it. We thank you for this promise that you strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to you. And so we just declare to you, Lord, our hearts are fully devoted to you. If you haven't been first place in our homes, we make you first place today. We're all in for you. God, we pray your best for our sons and daughters, our grandsons and granddaughters, our nieces, our nephews. Lord, protect them from evil. Put godly friends in their lives. Lead them to godly spouses. Lord, lead them and just guide them in their choices, in their beliefs. We pray that you'd capture their hearts. We pray that they'd not only survive, but that they'd thrive. Lord, we pray that they would outdo us in their zeal for you. We claim by faith, Lord, that 25, 30 years from now, sooner than that, we're gonna see them on these stages. We're gonna see them leading, but Lord, there'll be the day when we're, we're in heaven and we're gonna look down and we're gonna see them living for you because we were fully devoted to you with what we had in the time that we had. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that 
and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.